Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have the one and only Anna Romika, a stellar, stellar account manager of strategic accounts over at Trip Actions. Nick, why should people listen? Well, folks, it can be tough enough to sell one product. It's even harder to sell two. But when you have a whole bag, a whole suite of things to sell, it can get overwhelming. And it can be really tough when you're sitting down with a C-suite exec trying to figure out what the heck product you're even going to talk about. This was a really good one from the perspective of we talked about champion building. We talked about building JEPs, joint execution plans. We talked about getting not one, not two, but three steps ahead. And I had a lot of fun. Not one, not two, but three, a two, a one. Let's go. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press Command-H, and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. All right, Anna, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Number one, know their business. Now, what does this mean? Being able to speak to somebody and actually get time with somebody, it's imperative that you have these key reasons for talking to them. So here at Trip Actions, some of the things that are huge indicators of, hey, somebody's going to be traveling or spending money is 
they open an office in a different location, they raise funding, whatever it might be. And the reason this is so important is then when we go into these detailed conversations, we're tying all of our outreach and all of our initial contact around that critical piece. And then going beyond that by understanding the market, the industry, their competitors, what they're focused on as a company, it's imperative to be able to, you know, truly earn their time and and earn the opportunity to speak and work with them. Beautiful. What's number two? Number two is setting a strong agenda for every single conversation. Now, this seems relatively simplistic from a sales perspective, but this is imperative from setting the stage where, for instance, with trip actions, the typical talk track that I go through leading into every single call, whether it's a cold call, a discovery call, a demo, or even you know the last step from an executive alignment, is specifically stating the purpose of this conversation is to discuss X, Y, and Z. And then at the end of the call, once we get through those key pieces, we'll spend the last half talking through, you know, whatever those proposed next steps are going to be. So you can actually ask for that soft close and get folks moving forward through that process and driving that urgency. Beautiful. Round us out, Anna. What's number three? Yeah, number three is finding your champion and also testing your champion. So to give you some examples at trip actions, when it comes to testing our champions, obviously we know we need to find them very early. For the enterprise space, we typically have multiple, and the ways we'll test them is our champions typically sit in the finance and accounting team, but we know that we need to speak to the IT team, higher ups in the finance and accounting team, the operations team, the sales team, the people's team. So if they're able to properly give us access to these folks and also help share what their internal process looks like to get this deal across the line, then we know that they are a a great potential champion for us to leverage throughout the process. What do you do when you ask for that introduction to accounting, finance, marketing, all these other functions, and they say, I don't know how to do that, or it's very clear that they are not a qualified champion? How do you teach them how to buy? Yeah, absolutely. So I think Even before you teach them, you need to give them why you're asking. So when it comes for, you know, trip action specifically, the reason we need to talk with the accounting team is because their team is going to be the ones closely involved and when we talk about the liquid side of our product. So first and foremost, you need to give them context because if you don't give them context, they have no idea what they're doing. Secondly, if they aren't able to give you or don't know how to give you that access, They're probably not a champion. They're probably a coach, but you can help coach them through that by making them feel empowered with that context and the reasoning, and then, you know, giving them the proper support or aids or collateral that they need to be able to do so. So for the audience, Anna's role is to take existing customers of Trip Actions who might be using one product and get them on 20 products or five products or 10 products or paying more, double, whatever it might be. Anna, what do you do in a scenario where you're educating your champion and maybe you started with a champion who's really below the line and is only focused on the travel use case, but you know you need to get to these other people and they refuse to give you access or you just can't get them to make those introductions? How else can you thread yourself across the account? Yeah, I think there's a few different ways. One, if the person you're working with is a blocker, then you obviously exhaust leveraging them as much as you can, but there's going to be times when they're just not going to get you there. Then from there, as we call it at trip actions, you start to put on your PG hat or your pipeline generation hat and figure out how to get in the account. 
You can do that through your own outreach to folks. We're going back to the initial thing of knowing their business. You know, when it turns to, let's say I'm trying to upsell our liquid platform, so the payments and expense platform. I will have key insight from my contact regardless because travel is closely in line with expense. So I can leverage those pain points and insights to then reach out to their controller, their CFO, their chief accounting officer, their accounting manager, and have a proper ask and reasoning for why they should be giving me some time. So Anna, let's say that you get onto that call with the CFO or the whoever it might be, the controller, and they're like, look, I'm on Brex or I'm on Ramp. They're on some other corporate credit card, right? There are a lot of players in this space. So when you know they're on another credit card provider, how do you go about asking discovery questions differently in a competitive scenario versus someone who might not have a card at all? Yeah. From a competition perspective, one, it's imperative to know your competition through and through and also how you stack up against them. So when we think about Brex or Ramp, you know, the key things that come to my mind is, okay, well, how are they supporting your international employees? I noticed you have people in Europe. Do they issue in Euro issuing? Oh, from the travel side, how are you finding that their budgeting versus policy enforcement is helping drive savings? We find that the power of policy for any company over 200 employees is much more imperative than the idea of budgeting. Talk to me a little bit about that process today. From a reporting perspective, where are you finding the gaps in reporting that you're hoping to solve, you know, looking ahead at this year? And you see this often with a lot of newer AEs or even folks that join trip actions that I'll connect with. The first thing that I always recommend is learn the competition. Because inherently through learning the competition, you understand your company's differentiations. And then whenever somebody pops up, you know, with one of your competitors, you're instantly ready to give them the proper talk track of how to objection handle. So Anna, let's say you've done some good discovery and you found out the issues with the reporting for their current card. You found out the issues with international expenses or whatever it might be, right? And Now you need to get to the point where you start to say, hey, this is how we're different. How do you walk that line between explaining why you are better and different without completely trashing the competition? Oh, absolutely. And there's never a world where you want to be trashing the competition because that just makes you trash yourself in a way. When I think about differentiating myself after doing that discovery, you know, identifying the gaps of where there might be missing with their current solution, then when it goes into explaining, in this instance, liquid for trip actions, I start by simplifying it. And I, I will actually even say this on calls. Liquid is like an onion. I slowly peel back the onion to give them the high level. These are the four key components of what make up liquid so they understand what we're going to essentially replace. And then beyond that, we'll continue to peel it back and spend the majority of our time focusing on those key differentiations that we identified in the discovery. So question that I have for you, Anna, is you have a suite of like, 25, 30 different things that you could be selling to said customer. And the example we just gave, like you were going after a very, very specific use case, but there might be times that you're meeting with an executive at one of your accounts and you have no idea like what products you're going to pull out of the bag to sell them. Can you talk to me about like, what's your approach? You're sitting down with a CFO and 
You're not totally sure what direction the conversation is going to go. Do you go in with a plan of like, I want to steer it this way? And if so, like how? Or do you just say, so talk to me. Like, tell me about meeting with an executive and it's sort of greenfield. Number one, you go in with a very open mind. You have a plan of where you want to take it, but you become very audible ready for whatever, you know, is going to be thrown your way. To give you actually an example, I was speaking with a head of treasury today, going in thinking we were going to talk about liquid. But through the conversation, and even in the way that I introduce myself and I explain what I'm here to do, what the objective of my role is, and I'll actually name out (laughs) the suite of things that I can help quarterback for them, that in itself always, you know, piques somebody's interest if it's top of mind. And then from there, you know, you kind of just continue to go down when you think about a discovery call, even you go down thinking you're going to find something in this avenue, but then you don't. So you hop to the next. So you ask a few questions to get them speaking and sharing. And if there's a hook that you can hold on to, then you take that further. So I think it's a combo of preparation, but also being really, really quick on your feet to jump to wherever you find an opportunity. One of the big things that I learned recently, Anna, is if you're concerned that you might get pigeonholed into a very, very specific direction, like you show up and you think they only think trip actions is going to help with the travel use case, right? And there's all these other things that you can share. You can actually show up. I actually learned this from Sarah Brazier. One of the things she says is, hey, my biggest concern coming into a meeting like this is that my marketing team does such a good job talking about all of the things we do around call recording and what we can help with there. But there's actually like 87 other use cases and drivers that we can help CROs with. And so like my biggest concern coming into this is like, we end up only talking about one small area that we can help with and not like some of your big strategic goals. So maybe we can start a little bit higher actually, and I can tell you where we can and we can't help. And so what you're doing there is you're saying, hey, instead of just fixating on this very small use case, let's talk about your big initiatives because there's a chance that we have stuff that can help with all of those things. And so to the point of like, you were talking about the upfront contract in the very beginning of this episode. Can you tell me what are the things that you're covering in the beginning of the meeting? Are you talking about like time? Are you talking about, hey, here's what the probable next step might be. Can you voice over to me? Let's say you're kicking off the meeting. What do you actually say to start? The common theme in every single meeting is spending time having my customer tell me about themselves. What are they focused on? What is the business working on? What is top of mind? What is coming in the next few quarters? And it's through that key five to 10 minutes that I'm then internally setting my game plan of, okay, maybe like you mentioned, they only know trip actions for travel, but they were just talking about this huge meeting they're doing or their executive team traveling, or maybe their expense process is awful. And from there, it goes into actually similar to what Sarah was saying. Then my recommendation is, hey, like based off what you told me, I would love to just educate you on a few of the other pieces of trip actions because I believe due to X, Y, and Z value props or proof points, there are key ways that we can help you with those initiatives that you just mentioned to me. And when you when you offer it up as an educational piece, especially coming from account manager, I don't think I've ever been told no. Right. 
And one of the things we learned in that interview with Sarah is if you can even prime them and say, like, look, we can help with everything from prospecting to discovery to pipeline reviews. You prime them with some things to give you. All you do is you focus on gathering, gathering, gathering for the first 15. And then it's really important once you get all 10 things on the table, you say, hey, here are the three things that we're not going to help with. Here are the seven that we will. And now you've sort of painted this picture of all the different places that you could help someone. Now, Anna, let's say that we end up in the situation where we have three, four, five different products we could sell. Now you've got a complex deal cycle in front of you. You might have to get a different department for liquid versus your travel product versus your expense product, whatever it might be. So give me a sense of how do you start to work through next steps, knowing that you're going to have a series of next steps and products and multiple sales cycles you're going to have to run for each product. Yeah. It's very common that we have multiple parts moving at the same time. First, it goes back to organization. So from my perspective, I have essentially my own JEP that I work off of that I know every single deal will go through. And then from the prospect, or in this case, the customer facing, I also will share that with them. So they know start to finish once we open the door and are truly in you know a scope situation for an evaluation, they know start to finish what the process will look like. And then beyond that, going back to even setting the agenda that we were chatting about earlier, it's imperative that when we have so many different folks where, you know, for travel, we need to speak to the people's team. For liquid, we need to talk to you, your accounting manager. And for meetings and events, we need to talk to your marketing or, you know, if you have your own internal events team. At the end of the call, it's imperative to leave five to 10 minutes to actually schedule and discuss and align on those next steps. And from the AE or the account manager's perspective, you need to know that going into the call. You need to think about all of those things so that when you ask for that, there's no question from the customer or the prospect as to why we need those because they've already agreed to it when they open the door for this full evaluation. Could you give me a sense of how do you go about constructing a joint execution plan or JEP or a JEP as you call it? A JEP. I know there's so many words for it. So as I mentioned, I have a I have a template that essentially walks through all of the different steps needed. When I am connecting with a customer or a prospect and they have agreed that we're going to get into this evaluation, I will then start customizing it slightly but not deeply. Once they've agreed, a lot of the times they want to be told how to evaluate. If they don't want to be told how to evaluate, they'll tell me, that's great, I add it to the JEP and I still share it with them to keep us in line. I create it through a Google spreadsheet and I'll actually tag them in different action items and we'll communicate via the JEP to make it super, super informative and collaborative. And if they add something, they'll let me know. So it it becomes a partnership versus this like sales prospect kind of situation that makes them trust me a lot deeper and helps us stay very, very aligned and in lockstep on all of the steps and timelines that we establish. So can you tell me about what you actually put in that document? Yeah. So my specific JEP, the biggest thing that I focus on that is identifying all the different stakeholders that need to be involved in the conversation. So Armand, going back to what you were saying about like asking for next steps and identifying, as I like to say, the next three steps you need to do. In that JEP, I will go through 
you know, do my own due diligence to understand the stakeholders I can identify, put them into that JEP for all of the different steps that need to happen um, in those conversations that I know on an enterprise level will need to go on within their company. And then from there, it's the it's more the matter of like adding and subtracting based off of spending some time walking through it with my customer, with my prospect, because every company has their own internal you know processes and requirements. But the reason I find the stakeholders being included to be so important is bringing up the whole idea of multi-threading. It's already setting the stage of, hey, I am going to need to talk to these people. And I'm telling you this now so that when I ask for them, once we go through, you know, steps one and two, you've already agreed to give me access and to help me get there. How do you go about using these steps and the JEP and what you've learned about their business to drive them to a close on the appropriate timeline? The beginning stages when you're starting to kind of open the door to this evaluation is when you're gathering all of this information. You're understanding what they're working on and feasibly when this could be available. And you're testing different pieces. You know, is there a world we can get this done in March? Would this make more sense for April? Is this a Q1 or a Q2 project? When do you want to be implemented by? And you continue to tighten that and give them more direct timeframes. And then once they're in agreement of that, you kind of use that against them in a way where, hey, this is what we aligned on and we know we still need to do steps seven, eight, nine. So why don't we look to getting time on the calendar with you know these folks and, and checking these off the list to stick to the timeline we've already established and agreed on? Well, what you're doing is actually very, very smart. You're uncovering timeline, critical event, when they want to be live, when they want to see impact. And then you're actually documenting that in a written form with your joint execution plan. And I see a lot of salespeople at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, they're pushing their customer really, really hard because of something the customer mentioned offhand, like months back. And for the customer, so many things are in flux and changing, and the salesperson just comes across as like extremely aggressive because they don't really have a basis upon which to be pushing. But if you can say, hey, I've documented the timeline that you told me about, if that's changed, like let's have an honest conversation about that. I'd rather be accurate as opposed to optimistic, but this is why I'm pushing so much because of what you told me before that I specifically wrote down. The other thing that you're doing that's extremely intelligent on that JEP is writing down the names or at least the titles of the people that you need to have access to in the future because it's sort of the same thing. When you ask early on to say, hey, if things go well in the future, I'm gonna need to talk to like the big boss it's not as like tough of an ask when you say, hey, I need to talk to the big boss because the person doesn't want to go back on their word. They're like, well, I've already seen this shoot. I should have said something then. Okay, I guess I do need to make the introduction. The sooner you can like put some of the hard asks out there to give them some time to like percolate in the person's brain, the better. I want to talk to you a little bit about identifying risk in your deals. One of the things we were talking about in the pre-call is like a lot of AEs are sometimes hesitant to talk about things that they suspect might make their deal go awry. And I know you have a strong opinion on this. Yeah, I think risk is probably the most powerful tool you have in a deal cycle, or at least identifying it, and then being able to figure out an action plan to fix it. My philosophy when it comes to working with prospects or customers I, for one, try to be as transparent and straightforward as possible. So I'm an open book for my clients. 
From there, when it comes to the internal review for deals, for timelines, whatever it might be, we here at TripActions go through med picks. So we're walking through, you know, do we have a champion? Have we aligned on business level metrics that will actually get this across the line at the end of the day? Do we know who the signer is going to be? Have we figured out their paper process? So even like thinking about legal and IT and security review, all of that can take a super long time. Can we get ahead of that after call three if they're already open to evaluating us? And so going through these processes, which every company is probably different, but actually identifying where those gaps are and going back to the idea of proposing the next three steps, when you identify those risks, you then have an opportunity to fix them and fill them. And so the next time you speak with them, it can even be, hey, you know, I'm a little nervous about I don't feel like accounting is fully bought into trip actions. Or when we go talk to your CFO, I'm not truly sure you're ready to properly position trip actions. Let's dive a bit deeper into this. And doing that prior to, you know, asking for the big close, having that executive alignment call is imperative to be sure that that go no go meeting goes well versus you having to start all over again and kind of build things up from from scratch. Anna, are there common areas that you find are oftentimes blind spots for reps that you see inside of deals that you always need to make sure that you have checked off? Having a strong champion is always number one and aligning on timeline. I I find that to your point, Nick, reps are a little terrified sometimes to get a prospect to commit to a timeline. And so my philosophy is the earlier you talk about it, the easier it is to continuously talk about it and continuously ask them on every single call to stay on the same page and aligned with them. So those are the two biggest ones. And I guess the third would also be identifying pain. If we don't have any pain, business level pain to attach it to, why in the world would a CFO look to sign this contract for, you know, $100,000 at the end of the day? Can you talk to me about the metrics part of MedPick? Because that's one of the ones that I've always sort of screwed up because, I don't know, I've botched ROI calculators in the past. Like, I don't totally know how I should be talking through the metrics piece with a customer as it relates to getting the deal done. So in TripActions case, metrics is for the CFO. So metrics, in theory, will always be very numbers-driven. But specifically when you're selling into a CFO, it's imperative that it's numbers-driven. And the metrics actually need to come from their team. So we're going to identify, I talked about month and close prior. We're going to identify, okay, what is your process today? Let's understand the time it takes. And then let's actually go and walk through what you anticipate the liquid side of trip actions will improve that too. And then when you extrapolate that across, then there's all kinds of, you know, fun formulas you can do and make it on an annualized basis to make this the numbers seem larger and much more, you know, throw a harder punch. But utilizing kind of different areas of driving numbers from tangible savings, from time savings, from cost savings, maybe in comparison to what they're using today. And then from like a productivity perspective, it's also very important when we think about today's day and age. What do you do when the numbers are just preposterous? I feel like sometimes this happens to me at PAVE when I'm like, oh, on average, you lose if 10% of people due to comp-related reasons. So if you lose 17 fewer people, it costs 
20K to recruit someone. Great. Here's 17 million bucks of savings plus all of the value they would add in the products that they would build for your engineering team. And then they look at me like I have two heads. So how do you, how do you make sure that this is actually realistic and not just a, you know, a funny sales ROI trap? Yeah, I, I actually personally hate the idea of an ROI and the, the concept of it because every, you know, finance team or any buyer is going to do their own internally. I think this where this is where it becomes really important to lean on your champion or the group of champions that you built to identify the areas that they see improvement and the reason why they want, you know, pay, for instance, to be purchased at their company. From there, you create... Maybe it's not even an ROI, but you create the kind of proposal or business value based off of that. And what I'll also do is if you really don't have much numbers, then give the mic to your champion and have your champion sell the economic buyer on a call because they're going to listen to them a lot more than they're going to listen to this random you know, third party. Anna, this has been a phenomenal show, but the clock is counting down and I think we got to move ourselves to our final question. And so... We've talked about a lot of really great things that salespeople should be doing, and now we have to flip that question on its head and ask you about the inverse. And so the final question is this. What is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps them? They talk too much. (laughs) Learn to ask a question and shush. Learn to let the prospect fill the silence and give you more detail. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything you'd like to promote before we jump off here? For those of you that don't use trip actions or don't know trip actions, would love to educate you all on what we're doing over here. (laughs) Beautiful. Anna, thanks for joining us. And everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's show is sponsored by Calendly. If you're interested in accelerating your sales cycle, improving your prospects' experience, and booking more demos, there's one scheduling automation platform on the market that does all three. Calendly offers team-based scheduling, solutions and integrations for every department, and lead routing to instantly book qualified meetings from your website and match known leads to reps based on real-time Salesforce assignment. I find it really helpful when I have to book meetings with multiple people on my side so that I don't have to coordinate everyone's calendars. Get started today by checking out the show notes or Calendly.com. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's sales email tip is brought to you by Lavender. If you want to get more replies to your sales emails, try removing exclamation points and question marks from your email subject lines. They cause open rates to plummet. Instead, make the subject line feel internal. It should be short, one to three words, and it should showcase the topic of the email, but also be about them. We sat down with Lavender and built a sales email framework guide with emails for every step of your sales process. And there is a link in the show notes to get it for free. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Anna Romica include number one, before you ask for access to power, explain why you need access to power to give them context. Number two, use the way that you ask for timeline and key events early in discovery to build the end of your joint execution plan and then just hold them to that plan every single time you meet with them. Which brings us to number three, always be mapping out the next three steps 
in your deal. Always be looking three steps ahead as it pertains to getting access to power or preventing risk in your deal or whatever else it might be. And then lastly, number four, when you are multi-threading, don't just ask for access to someone in finance explicitly write down the names of the stakeholders you're going to want to get in touch with and why you will need them and make it very clear you are going to ask for access to power. Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, you can get not one, not two, but three steps ahead here with 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. If you want to make sure that you never miss anything from us, we occasionally send out emails. And the emails don't stink. Armand writes them. You can find a link to sign up for the 30 Minutes to Presidents Club email newsletter in our show notes. And you'll never miss an episode and you'll never miss our 30 Minutes to Presidents Club live webinars, which are a heck of a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 MPC. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.